0: Welcome to Tashma, the podcast where you get to listen in on Hadar's Beit Midrash. I'm Rabbi Avi Killip. Each week this year, we will hear a Dvar Torah on the weekly Parsha from our Rosh Yeshiva, Rabbi Aviva Richman. Let's listen. Undoing slavery, acquiring ourselves. The very first law of the extended laws of Parshat Mishpatim starts with a horrifying phrase, Ki tikne ivri, when you acquire a Hebrew slave, we were just 2 weeks ago freed from being Hebrew slaves. How could the Torah possibly articulate the words Hebrew slave? Indeed, Midrash posits that the Torah wrote these words against its will, bal korcha, wary of the possibility that one Hebrew would derisively deem another Hebrew a slave, but compelled to discuss this ugly matter, none the less. Beyond the issue of individual derision, there is a larger problem. After the incredible power of the exodus from slavery, through the workings of so many divine miracles, it is totally devastating to imagine the Hebrew slaves recreating a structure that includes slaves. How could we recreate the very structure we escaped? And how could we acquire Hebrew slaves, essentially becoming like Pharaoh? This first law in parashat mishpatim forces us to confront the fact that oppressive structures become entrenched and won't disappear overnight. The dramatic liberation story is over. Now starts the much harder work of finding redemption within unideal and often harsh realities. The Torah's first intervention is a rude awakening to confront the fear of what we could become. Midrash relates that this first law is a warning. Meant to ensure that we don't follow in the path of the Egyptians, the Egyptians abused their power, afflicting Israel with harsh labor, and refusing to let them go when the time came, and God punished them. The horror at hearing the phrase, when you acquire a Hebrew slave, motivates us to abide by Parshat Mishpatim's restrictions on slavery so as to avoid divine punishment. The Midrash goes on to link the word mishpatim in this parsha to the word mishpat in a verse in Zechariah, which offers the clear directive not to use power to oppress the vulnerable in our society, the widow, orphan, stranger, and the poor. Speaking to the Hebrew slave who may become slave owner, this first law aims to ensure we will not be like Pharaoh. Instead, we have to radically re-understand the meaning of when you acquire a Hebrew slave. As an invitation to acquire like God, not like Pharaoh. God too acquired Hebrew slaves, not in order to enslave them, but to free them. Indeed, one Midrash specifically refers to the Exodus as God's acquisition of Israel, with the same verb as in the phrase, when you acquire a Hebrew slave. Amar lahem ani kaniti ethem b'mitzrayim. God said to Israel, I acquired you in Egypt. In biblical Hebrew, the root kuf nun he can mean to acquire, but it can also mean to create, signaling a creation that comes through acquisition. God's acquisition of the Hebrew slaves demonstrates how to acquire someone in a position of subjugation so that they become free and can create themselves anew. The language of redemption as acquiring Israel rings with the overtones of the song at the sea, where we describe ourselves as am Zukanita, the people you, God, acquired. Like a rebirth, coming through the waters of the sea into God's acquisition was a moment of creating ourselves as a new people. In this vein of acquiring a Hebrew slave in the way God acquires, we find a midrash where the time limits on owning the Hebrew slave six years as a slave and going free in the seventh year mimics God's ownership. God had the world work for six days and be free of work on the seventh. God didn't expect the world to work for God forever. In another Midrash that compares the cycle of the Hebrew slave to Israel's eschatology, we see the broad arc of Jewish meta-history described as Israel serving six nations, and then ultimately becoming free in the end of days. Acquiring like God involves a vision of identity that is not embedded in being subjugated to others, but comes from the freedom of self-definition. This radical rereading of acquisition is not only meaningful for one who comes to hold structural power, but can also resonate for the just-freed Hebrew slave who hears that the future still holds slavery. The question becomes how to find pathways toward self-creation even as oppressive power structures stubbornly linger. On this, there is much to learn from black feminist scholarship. Claudia Tate writes about transcending limitations of oppression and describes the power of self-definition in black women's literature. Significant change occurs, quote, because the heroine recognizes, and more importantly respects, her inability to alter a situation. She learns to exceed former boundaries, but only as a direct result of knowing where they lie. Even as Parshat Mishpatim teaches that oppressive structures might linger, this black feminist perspective insists that transformation is still possible. But how? The Midrash that refers to God acquiring the Hebrew slaves goes on to quote a rich verse in Psalms, painting a picture where acquisition coincides with deep knowledge and creation. It was you who created or acquired my kidneys. You covered me in my mother's womb. I praise you because amazing things make me wondrous. Your deeds are wonderful and my soul knows it well. Acquiring here does not have any pretense of owning another person. Instead, the verb kanita refers to God's acquisition as being deeply seated in our kidneys, the seat of consciousness in ancient times. Acquisition is about catalyzing a transformation towards deep self-knowledge, wonder, and creation. Claudia Tate discusses how this kind of journey toward self-definition and self-creation can occur even within stubborn power structures. Coming out of her keen awareness of unalterable constraints, Tate goes on to describe how a protagonist in black women's literature nonetheless, quote, teaches her readers a great deal about constructing a meaningful life in the midst of chaos and contingencies, armed with nothing more than her intellect and emotions. Giving voice to our intellect and emotions, or our kidneys in the Psalms text, we can find a power of divine acquisition that lets us create ourselves in contrast to oppressive structures of human acquisition. Even without the dramatic miracles that totally alter oppressive structures, this power of self-definition does its transformative work from within the confines of existing constraints. The words, when you acquire a Hebrew slave, ask us to pursue this kind of acquisition, to hold power in the way God holds power, and not in the way Pharaoh held power. This means a constant sense of how we can swerve any power we might hold, whether through structural means or not, towards the possibility of self-creation rather than subjugation. The law of when you acquire a Hebrew slave signals to the recently redeemed Hebrew slaves that one day some of them will inhabit power over their own and some of them will be subject to each other. While imagining this in the recent wake of Egyptian slavery should be horrifying, as we saw the Torah writes this against its will, it would be wrong to pretend that the reality of power imbalance won't re-emerge. There is only one way to wield power to create a world without oppression. Power must be a means of empowerment with a clear timeline and clear parameters along the way. When we acquire, we must acquire like God, not like Pharaoh. This law comes as the climax of the extended narrative of God acquiring Hebrew slaves so as to free them. And God's acquisition offers a radically different way to inhabit and experience power. Whether as the one who holds structural power or the one who feels bound by the structural power of others, there must be a shared vision of power that leads to greater freedom and paves the way for the creative expression of a full self. We live this pattern weekly on Shabbat, experiencing how God lets go, allowing us to create ourselves anew. This mindset must inform every day of our lives. Shabbat Shalom. I'm going to close with a song by Linda Hershorn. I have a million nightingales on the branches of my heart. I have a million on the branches of my heart, singing freedom, freedom, freedom. Singing freedom, freedom, freedom. This episode of Tashmah was produced by Jeremy Tabak and Sam Greenberg and edited by Evan Feist. I'm your host, Rabbi Avi Killip. It has been a pleasure to learn with you.